0: All the goth DJs and Twitch witches are hanging out on Thursday for the bad VHS rips, unblinking eyes, and fire by night. Thetans and Satans comes from an interest in the cult of Scientology, moral panics, Satanism, and how they set the tone for the extremist social media panics of today. We really earn our weird left Twitch badge with this show, watching the world go red light in reverse
1: every Thursday at 9pm Pacific, on twitch.tv slash Find our full schedule at EcoplexMedia.com. Hey, everyone. Usually when I conduct an interview, there's like a part where I'm like, okay, hold on. Let's leave a little bit of silence, and I will start the interview proper. In this case, the call connected, and we just started chatting. I think it was for the best. The conversation flowed really well, and um, maybe we'll just pick it up right here. Well, I mean, we all well, we all have an unhealthy relationship with ourselves sometimes. I mean, otherwise, like, otherwise, what are we doing, spending all this time on Twitter? Like, if we were like had healthy relationships
0: with ourselves, what would we doing on Twitter? The amount of, I mean, really, this is, yeah, this that's that's fair. Although I, you know, I take consolation when I look at people like Jordan Peterson. I'm kind of like, well, I manage my Twitter habits quite well, relatively speaking. (laughs)
1: Um. Yeah, I. I don't know. I just. I think that it's it's. I think that celebrity really fucks some people up. You know. Oh yeah. I mean, like, I couldn't imagine like if I had that kind of following, what it would do to my ego. You know, like.
0: Yeah, a You know, Matt and I have talked about, and we our people as well about weller. You know, whether the ingredients, of course, like, you know, becoming famous and stuff, like, has a big impact. But a lot of those people, like, and in particular, like, Brett and Jordan, seems like they were waiting their whole life for everyone else to discover how incredible and insightful they were. So, like, I kind of feel like they've been definitely broken by the attention, but they... It wasn't an accident that they, you know, stepped out into the limelight and, and ended up like on Tucker Carlson or, you know, in these viral, viral moments. So, yeah, like I, I think I previously had thought of them as a little bit like kind of deers in the headlight who, you know, got sucked into things. But I've subsequently revised it to, oh, no, these were guys who were angling for this their whole lives.
1: Well, I feel like we've already kind of jumped into the conversation, so maybe this is the part where I ask you to introduce yourself and tell tell my tell my audience maybe if they don't know who you are, like who you are and uh how you came to be uh doing a podcast that gets oftentimes treated as if it's my podcast when people talk about how <laughs> mean you are.
0: Yeah. So I, if people don't know who I am, it just means they're like slightly better adjusted, but I feel <laughs> like if they know who you are they probably know me as well but i'm i'm a co-host on decoding the gurus with uh i'm an academic and uh i teach in the psychology department but i kind of i'm in the hinterlands between anthropology and psychology um and i do the podcast with another psychologist matthew brown in australia um and we look at uh the cast of characters um, maybe mostly around the IDW kind of space, but we we try to cast the net further afield. And like at the minute, we're doing a season of, uh, around kind of tech gurus, and what we do is probably similar to what I've seen on the Intellectual Dollar Tree in a way. Like we, uh, we play clips from the content and then comment on it, and we try to like critically analyze what they're doing and look at their, uh, you know, the rhetoric they use. But um, we don't just cover people that we dislike or that we find annoying. Uh, they <laughs> do take up the lion's share, but we've, we've like, covered Carl Sagan and Anthony DeMello, um, ContraPoints we like, Rutger Bregman and stuff. So we we do try to kind of basically... I'll uh, include anybody that might be counted as like a modern day guru, for better or worse. Um, and and yeah, we've been doing it for about a year now, and are still <laughs> are still enjoying it despite the um, scheduling conflicts that I was just complaining about. But um, yeah, so so that's that's m- mostly what we do. And I'm originally from Northern Ireland. Uh, which is why I sound like this, but I know I live in Japan, which probably hasn't had that much influence on my accent, except I speak slower.
1: <laughs> um, I did want to kind of ask what that's been like for you. I, I don't think I've heard you talk about that much, like on your podcast or interviews. I've heard like, how did it come to be that you, uh, are in Japan?
0: Mm, yeah. So I, uh, well, one, my wife is Japanese, so that, that plays a part, but that's not actually why I'm here. Um, I, my research during my PhD ended up um, being about ritual psychology and I was interested in Japan and the kind of uh, ritual and religious environment here because it's this kind of interesting place where there's lots of rituals and there's kind of relatively vibrant religious system alone but not a very strong uh commitment to particular beliefs or even to given denominations so if you're interested in ritual psychology it's a pretty good place to come to look for people doing rituals without having very strongly attached um beliefs and that's a an, you know uh, slightly unusual combination but maybe a lot more common in east asia so i came over um to Japan as part of my PhD research and then was um, supposed to stay for just a while, but continued uh, like doing the research, getting extensions to funding and um, getting kind of more settled in Japan. And now I've been here eight years, I guess. So (laughs) pretty, settled here now and uh yeah and after i finished my phd i ended up getting a position at a japanese university um so i've got like a dual position in i'm a researcher at oxford and i teach in a a japanese university in tokyo that's a that's a wild story that's cool like you know, yeah, most pr- people,
1: I, most people don't ever like live even 50 miles away from where they grew up. So that's, that's definitely a.
0: Yeah. So the, I, I think when, up to like I was 18, you know, I, I basically hadn't spent much time anywhere outside of Northern Ireland, except, you know, on holiday. So I was quite eager at 18 to like go, go somewhere else. And I ended up in London university and then you know uh eventually in oxford to do the phd Uh, but as soon as there was an opportunity to go farther afield and uh, i always had an interest in japan i studied uh, japanese a bit at at university um so so yeah it was it, it was like a personal interest but also um research motivated that's pretty cool how's your Japanese? I uh, it's it's okay, it's getting better because I've <laughs> I've recently um like living in Japan, of course you've got like lots of opportunity, you know, every day to hear Japanese and but like my daily routine is like very uh like regimented around work. It's, taking kids to things and, you know, getting stuff ready for the next day and so on. So like a lot, there's not a ton of time in that for, um, you know, deep conversation <laughs> with people. It's just like at the convenience or at the supermarket or that kind of thing. But I, so I, and I didn't have time for like attending classes because I've got two young kids, but I've recently discovered uh, these apps <laughs> for you can schedule, like you know, uh, online conversations, um, and just like thirty minutes whenever you have the time. So, for the past, uh, I guess, a month now, I've just been using that to get like daily conversation practice. It's it's just so nice. I I, I get to have you know my Japanese was okay, but the problem was not getting lots of like conversation um, practice. So I've now. I, seemingly find a way to do that and it's uh yeah but that's, <laughs> that's that's not interesting for anyone but me but um i'm my japanese is fine for like living in japan and getting uh you know around but i i am happy that i have found this way to have random conversations
1: i wonder what uh um, people in japan think of a northern irish accent on the japanese language because i i just I just imagine that 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 your, that your accent plays out like in your speaking of japanese and i I just wonder i, just I th- wonder what people in Japan think of that
0: It probably does, but I don't think they can hear it that clearly like the uh I think to Japanese people I probably sound like generic English accented Japanese person or you know Japanese speaker so yeah. the the um because uh, yeah people generally don't uh, they don't even in english often hear my accent very strongly like you know when when we're communicating in in english so i <laughs> Eng- english speakers do do notice right, full my accent <laughs> yeah, yeah but i but i can't judge so it, it is possible that the northern irish pronunciation is like sneaking in but you know japanese the uh the like the way the language is structured it's it's kind of it's not so bad for the northern irish thing because the the way like the the consonants and the vowels are combined it's kind of compatible (laughs) um yeah so maybe that helps a little bit a little bit
1: so yeah that was i mean that was just stuff i was curious about like on a personal level maybe we can kind of get into the uh reason i'm talking to you yeah sorry no no no. that was no i I mean i'm the one conducting the interview if if we're if we're off track it's clearly my fault but i I wanted to ask like i've heard you say in the past that you uh, are yourself heterodox or interested in heterodoxy and i don't like what does that mean to you
0: yeah so uh i mean (laughs) I feel sort of allergic to saying I'm interested in heterodoxy given what what that brand has come to mean. But uh, I think that when I'm talking about that, I basically mean I have some sympathy for the people who find, uh, you know, like all of the daily or weekly outreach woke outrage kind of porn that the idw and dave rubin types go gaga over i i think that's like you know a lot of it is manufactured a lot of it is tucker carlson like whipping up whatever is happening but i do think there's there's something to there being like overreaction or like a kind of uh, puritanical streak to some of the stuff in In the progressive left space, and I don't like that um because I'm a pretty like moderate left person, so there's there's part of it that's just like that's you know my political alignment but the other part is my personality is probably and I'm, I'm not i just that that vibe doesn't sit well with me, and I encountered that long before. The kind of idw style culture wars the university i went to in london was the school of oriental and african studies it's got a wild name but it like it's the most left-wing university in the uk um, like jeremy Corbyn went there to uh give his first speech on the the steps outside of it so it's that kind of place and i was studying anthropology there right which is uh, a quite left leaning uh, topic in academia and there there was already a lot of people in my field in my class who who took you know quite strong stances on cultural relativism and that kind of thing and i i find myself like not in alignment with them so i actually left social anthropology to go into cognitive anthropology because i wanted like more quantitative and like more rigorous um approaches to the thing. And I am relatively critical of some of the postmodern approaches in uh scholarship and academia. So in that respect I have like I think I would be close to you know like the original Soca- socal hoax, that that kind of criticism of like fashionable nonsense, but not the James Lindsay <laughs> variety. So, you know, somewhere in there. Well, I
1: mean, when the James Lindsay thing came out, I actually put something on our, our blog, which I now call the defamation times. Um, but I mean, I, I mean, I looked at it and it was, you know, what happened with the James Lindsay thing is they ended up, I, you know, they tried to post and they tried to put it in some reputable uh, publication. They got rejected and they ended up putting it in a pay to play publication. And funny enough, they never paid to play. They never paid the 600 bucks and this is the
0: the penis one right? yeah the
1: conceptual penis and yeah that was that was bad and it, you it know, was bad my, my point with that is like my point with that was like you know you could write something jargony even for like you know i'm you know my one of the things i know a lot about is audio productions you could write like a fake audio production thing that's real jargony that you could get past some editor somewhere at a pay-to-play journal if there was such a journal right because they just wouldn't understand the jargon and they just want your 800 bucks or whatever it is and that's yeah. sort of what they did with that they didn't really hoax like you know a, a reputable journal that you can get something published at some i could get something published probably if i if i paid for it even if it was like just a steaming pile of crap
0: yeah so the like the conceptual penis hoax so-called hoax was like incredibly confused and and not what it claimed to be because like you say they submitted it to a pay-to-pay journal which has no barrier to entry and um and then james lindsay on this other podcast very bad wizards they kind of put that to him saying you know you can't use this as a indictment of the lax um publication standards if you're using like pay-to-pay journals which everybody already acknowledges have crap standards and he tried to argue that like it was also a critique of the pay-to-pay, to play um, publishing industry. But like that doesn't—it didn't really make any sense at the time. Um, but I—I I think you know they're called the SoCal Squared hoax because of the original like their uh, riffing on Alan SoCal's, like uh, a hoax of the Social Text journal, and I. I think his hoax originally uh, had a lot more thought behind it and and had a, a kind of better point of critique. Lindsay and uh, Pluckrose and Bogosian's like subsequent attempt to you know hoax actual journals. Um, I think like that's a good example because I think they really overstated what they achieved right like because they did get things through peer review in and in some journals that like are none of the journals were like super influential but there were some that like within a a niche field were considered reasonable um but like the notion that you can get um articles of questionable quality published in journals if you don't aim particularly high and if you're you know, if you're willing to invent data or um, adjust things to appeal to like prevalent ideological standards, that, that applies across the spectrum. And it happens every week in almost every field, right? So like they, there was so much that they didn't do, but they like, they didn't demonstrate that this wasn't the case in, like, other fields, right, that they would regard as respectable, like, evolutionary psychology fields and so on. And they also didn't demonstrate that uh, the... Man, the 1am brain has gone past. So anyway, <laughs> the, yeah, the things that they claimed, it wasn't, it, it like, it didn't do what they said it did. But I think there was a little bit of a point that you can get things through um, peer review by like appealing to popular ideological trends and fads. And you can, like, ac- but, but all academics know that. Oh yeah, I remember what it was now. They didn't have any experience about, like none of them have ever run an experiment. So they got done, right? Because they didn't have ethics clearance. And this was regarded as a, like something which needed ethics clearance because you were using human subjects, like the editors, and uh, they they regarded this as like this woke way to try and like catch them, and it it was incredibly obvious to anybody who's run research that no, if you're going to do that and you're at a university, you're immediately going to need an IRB for that, and uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't, so, I haven't,
1: I haven't done any of this kind of stuff, and I can imagine if you, I mean, it, it is doesn't seem crazy at all to me that there would be some ethics concerns if you're using human subjects there would be some bar that you have to clear to like demonstrate that you're doing that ethically like it's there's seems obvious
0: so the stupid thing they did was they thought because they're not like running you know like a classic experiment they aren't getting people in the lab or they aren't sending out a survey that they don't need um ethics approval but there's these um type of studies that are relatively popular, where people send out fake resumes, right, Or um, and, and look at the response rates or the offers for interviews. And when you do that, you need to get ethics clearance. Uh, you have to say what you're planning to do, how you're going to treat the anonymity of the people, you know, who you're hoaxing and so on. And the stupid thing for me was that if they presented it as a journalistic expose of, you know, the... Ah, uh, the woke academic industry it would have been fine because in journalistic standards you can do that right you can write a feature about you did this thing but the reason peter burgossian got like slapped on the wrist and all it was was a slap on the wrist was because they presented it like a study if you look on their page they put up you know study materials and they had uh, methods results analysis and they referred to it as a as a study and it so they kind of like they could have avoided all of that by like one not involving peter directly and two you know just claiming it as you know as a journalistic expose but they didn't and you saw them on the camera and being informed that like they're saying it's an ethics violation and they were laughing about it saying you know how could it be and it's like you guys you're not being targeted you're you're, like these are the same standards that you know, just responsible people in universities have to deal with. And they just hadn't even considered them. Well,
1: yeah, if you're going to say that there's no standards in academia and then you're going to just like ignore the standards that you have to, yeah, that you have to like go through or whatever to publish something, then it sort of takes the wind out of your sails a little bit. It, it makes it hard for you to, for you to, on you, yeah, on one hand, you're saying, oh, there's no standards. And on the other hand, oh, the standard is being used to, you know, stifle my, like my paper or whatever, it seems, it seems sort of
0: like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. <laughs> yeah. So there's a maybe a good example that also relates to the question you asked about, you know, why I might accept the label of heterodox at times is. Uh, so I seen Bogosian released this stupid video recently where he went to he went to some campus and he did a stunt where he put up a sign something about you know some transgender free as like a convinced me you know steven crowder kind of thing and then he was he laid out these like little white lines and he was asking people to watch like
1: we watched that i was probably like four uh cocktails in when we watched that (laughs) Yeah. yeah
0: okay so i don't need to describe to you but it was like it was a it was a kind of like a provocative stunt right because he went to a campus and did it and then the the kind of some staff, I think, and some academic or some students came down to engage with him, right and i I felt like you know, <laughs> I'm backseat driving for the people that interacted with him, but I felt like a bunch of what they said in response to him was like counterproductive and just fed. His narrative, because they they said, for example, some people saw the sign and felt unsafe and had to go home. And I was like, don't say that, because that's just, you know, going to that's going to feed him. Like if you wanted to engage him, if you're going to come down and talk to him, you should talk to him about, you know, why, given your whole thing about free speech and stuff. Why are you off in Hungary promoting Orbán's regime? Right. Forget about all the the like woke transgender stuff you say that you want to talk about. Like, let's talk about your commitment to free speech, but I know they don't know Boghossian. Right. But I feel like they're, you know, by coming down and kind of using the, the social justice-y Bud's words, they basically give him the meat that he can give to his audience. And I, I'm kind of like, ah, I wish you, I wish you wouldn't. So my like larger criticism of that style of,
1: what's going on is that he's media trained, right? And the students that walk up to him, not only are they not media trained, they're also like 19, right? Yeah. And 19 is a perfectly fine thing to be. I had some times, right? You probably had some times, but these people, they're, they're undergrads, you know, they're, your brain isn't even done developing. Um, not media trained. And they woke up this morning and had no idea they were going to talk to Peter Boghossian. And they had no idea Mm. who some of them probably didn't even know who Peter Boghossian was. And I just feel like if somebody, you know, who wants to claim to be like a public intellectual or whatever, wants to have discussions with people they disagree with, they should maybe choose people who have finished college, have media training and know that they're going to have the discussion ahead of time so that they can prepare a little bit versus the Steven Crowder, like ambush, uh, ambush a teenager. Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm I I'm completely with you there, but I guess the and I do give a lot of laity to uh to like young students, right? Like you know, lots of people say stupid stuff when they're young students, and like <laughs> including myself. But the um <laughs> I I I I I think that I do still find. Some of the like kind of tropes that are trotted out, which are which are caricatured on the right, like so, I can it, it surprises me when people actually use them in in real life as like an effective argument. And I'm I'm kind. I wonder in those occasions, is it that like a, a American university or you know Amer- the debate in America is like that like that and i just don't see it in japan or the uk or is it just that this is like a very specific thing that happens you know on very specific campuses and edited videos like I, I can't tell because i'm not in the us and i i i see the hyperventilating from the idw people and i see on the like social justice progressive side the claim that like no one says that ever and it feels like the truth is, maybe like not at the IDW extreme, and not at the thing that nobody uh, says the like kind of extreme woke position. Well, I mean, if we have you have Twitter,
1: so you know that whatever it is, somebody somewhere is saying it. <laughs> like,
0: you know saying? I, I, that's true. I do know that. So that's the question. But like, I know that there are positions you know that are you'll you'll encounter on Twitter, but you'll never basically bump into them in your daily life for most people, and. Uh, is it like that or is it more that this is like, no, this is something that, you know, you will encounter in your workplace or to some extent. And, and that, I don't, I don't know that. So, so you had said, yeah.
1: you had said that some of the faculty came down and talked to him and it, there was a couple videos where he did the thing with the lines, right? It wasn't just one. Yeah. And I didn't see anybody who I think was faculty who talked to him in the, and I think I watched more than one of them. It um,
0: was there was one where they were up on the roof, like um, shouting at him at the at some point, and then they came down, and he was like kind of in a quad, and I I don't know if it was they might not have been faculty like academic faculty, but I thought they were like the the kind of you know bureaucratic admin maybe staff,
1: yeah I. Uh, and again there's he's been doing like a bunch of those videos lately so there's no i don't think i've watched all of them and so maybe it's just a different one Um,
0: you're you're missing out. this is you know it's such a fantastic genre i like i didn't know i i mean i genuinely i think i hate peter bogossian like i i I just find a bit despicable person but uh, like that you know you must have the same reaction when you see people interact with like conspiracy theorists sometimes right and they give them oh yeah what they oh, need and you're like don't don't do that don't you know i i mean and i i kind of
1: have the same reaction some of the stuff the students were saying where i was like oh you're you know i probably said it like during the stream you know i, didn't, I don't put everything that i do out where you know we're up late we're kind of having fun i'm there for the chat and it's like a different yeah it's like a different environment like i definitely like rein it in for the podcast for the IDT yeah. podcast. I like. I'm like. Oftentimes like begging my chat. To stop saying stupid shit. Like because it goes up <laughs> on my screen. Like because the, 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 the after show. And like the other shows. Are a little more like way looser. And but I. So you know I didn't put that out. But I certainly understand. That those students to some extent. Were feeding into some of the tropes. But I just think about like you know. Myself when I was 19 or 20. And like how I kind of viewed politics. And like how I thought about the world. And I just, my, my analysis of the world just wasn't like fully formed. And I definitely thought in a lot of tropes and a lot of like, like oversimplifications and, you know, I hadn't been out in the world. Um, You know, I, you know, uh, like, I just remember when I was 19, like there was still like massive discrimination against gay people in this country. So I was like way more focused on that as like a gay man. And so I just feel like, you know, it's, the world is, like, a different place for a 19-year-old than it is for a 55 or 60, I don't know how old that guy is. And I just think that, like, it just it boggles my mind that that this is, like, sort of what um, kind of substitutes for debate for some people.
0: No, but it, like, that, that whole space has this, like, you know, platonic ideal about, like, purity of debate right and the the this like kind of view that it the people are too afraid to engage in the free exchange of ideas and the forthright, you know debate and all this but like a lot of what they do when you look especially at the people who use that rhetoric a lot is like you know they just sit and have indulgent conversations with people who are very nice to them and they they avoid confrontational interviews with people who are like on their level with the um you know james lindsay never did that he did like two or three harsh interviews in his entire time and then he you know he ran he ran away from all the other ones but they present themselves as these brave like truth tellers or you know philosophical people and peter bergossian and like james lindsay and all that i feel like you know Lindsay is mask off now he's a complete like partisan maga conspiracy theorist um i but would like, go
1: i would go a little bit further and just say that his his bigotry is just like on full yeah. display for everyone to see i think that sometimes the people in our space some of the people in our space are reluctant to just call that what it is um i no think it's that, bigotry and, like and i think that's that's maybe maybe something that that, that um that that you know, I would, I would ask maybe that some people I, I, I would ask that some, especially like straight white guys in our space, like do a better job of is instead of like referring to Lindsay as a partisan, like a right wing partisan to like be this guy. He clearly does not like queer people. He clearly thinks black people are inferior. Like these, these kinds of things are like really harmful to our society. And I think a lot of times, and I think, you know, I think you and Matt not being in America aren't seeing, you know, the, this isn't playing out in your country. Our culture war spills out over onto your shit. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. Like the culture war online is the American culture war, no matter where you live. And that's unfortunate yeah. because our, our shit is all fucked up right now. And I'm sorry to have <laughs> exported that <laughs> to both to like uh, to Japan and, uh, Japan and Australia for you and Matt. But I, I do think sometimes that that you know, and I think that um I think when you spoke with Ina, she kind of touched on this too. I think that sometimes some of the you know, straight white like academic types are, are sort of reluctant to call some of this stuff what it is.
0: With with Lindsay, I don't. <laughs> well, no, you call the, him uh, Egypt reluctance. all the time
1: too. I like that.
0: Yeah, like Lindsay, I think the like I say, he's pretty mask off, and like you know, to me partisan right wing in the american context now is like openly bigoted and you know like the 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 te- even even if you took it at like just the level of like political strategy the political strategy of the republican party is to suppress the vote of minority groups right and all this vaunted thing about the big shift um you know towards Trump amongst the like latino community and so on like it's still when you look at the actual relative numbers like the democrats are still much more popular amongst right. like minority groups and the 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 changes like pollsters and and or you know political strategists and stuff they they often they're talking about like the relative change but the 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 numbers are still like hugely in their favor but in, in any case I d- I know that's not what you're uh, highlighting. So I, it, in regards to the American culture war, like I think, like you say, it it just consumes everything online. And I think Ma and I have a bit of a resistance to, um, and and other people online as well. Not to necessarily to the complaint that like, well, you're middle aged like white guys, because like we are. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm a middle-aged
1: white guy too. It just so happens that I'm gay. It's not like it's not like we don't share some of the same buckets. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, this is true. But like, I'm 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 f- completely open to that criticism. But I I think one part that we would push back on, and I would push back on, is that like I feel sometimes that there's there isn't an appreciation that like the circumstances that exist in the U S and the concerns of people in the U S are not universal. And that like people might have had very different experiences in their white countries. Right. Like I don't think growing up in Northern Ireland is like growing up in a lot of other places, even in Western Europe, like the, the stuff that w- was different there and I don't mean that as like oh and therefore I can say whatever I want oh no I mean more- I
1: know you're you're the you're the age you grew up during what we unfortunately the have troubles. decided to call the troubles <laughs> instead of describing it more but like more explicitly the troubles sounds like oh I I got I got lost on my way to the store you know what I'm saying the troubles like, yeah, it's, it's, like, but like that's, it's, a, it's a funny way to talk about it it's very british actually to call it the troubles
0: it is or you know but I think that's a, a Northern Irish thing as well as like you know that's the word that we use in Northern Ireland and uh, there's a very prevalent dark humor around the troubles and there always was like during the troubles as uh, as well and like it's so like for example there, I think there's a very high tolerance for joking about tragic situations i know that is the case in some places in america as well There, are, you know like but there are also people that are very hyper sensitive about like joking about certain topics and um well, and i think like, who
1: you are and like what the payload of the joke
0: is it does it does but i i think that's the that can be a cultural difference as well like the you know there's there's sensitivities but there's there's also, like, broad cultural differences and intolerance to, like, things to joke about. And uh, I I guess that it, in some occasions, and this this feels a little bit unfair, but when Americans are, like, kind of talking, it sometimes feels like talking down to you about... You know, you just don't, haven't thought these things about like the social justice issues enough and, you know, the, and kind of discussing it. And from my point of view, the American country has like guns everywhere, <laughs> right? And the, we, we almost, have all
1: of them actually.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Nobody else is almost, even allowed to have them. <laughs> almost all of the other, like, you know, Western democracies or whatever had this period, had this thing where somebody gets shot in a school and the we can't you know there's legislation passed and and guns were removed happened in the uk happened in australia uh and so it sometimes feels like look we have social welfare systems we have You know like not not perfect but like when i grew up in northern ireland as well we have the nhs right so like my conception of medicine was like medicine is free for everyone and i know that that you know as i've traveled around the world or whatever i know that's not the case everywhere but it means that like there is a certain like greeting about when people are, you know, like lecturing you about how to be a, a better a more responsible person when your country or the places that you grew up, we we, we have socialized health care. We, we have, you know, like we don't allow guns. And I'm not saying that all Americans are to blame for that because I know that lots of Americans don't want guns and they want socialized Housecare. yeah yeah and
1: that's why some of us are so fucking mad all the time honestly is because we like <laughs> we see like what are what are european australian and even japanese like counterparts yeah like, what their what their societies are like and it's like well you know it's not like you don't have freedom in these places people have you know possibly more freedom in these places and they also don't have massacres and like it's also not going to bankrupt you if you have a medical emergency and so like i do think that like that's you know, a lot of a lot of American leftists are mad because, like, we want those things, and we feel like, you know, as just human beings on the planet, we're entitled to uh, healthcare. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And I, so, I guess, like, part of the frustration from like someone like my perspective is like the what <laughs> the the country that I come from or the, the the like kind of background is that you know, if I'm a center left person in American context i'm actually like you know pretty far left because i'm not afraid of the word socialist like and i'm not afraid of like socialized healthcare or any of those things these are all like common sense assumptions for me but that means that like when american progressives for example kind of uh, you know, I don't. I don't mind when people like, if they want to like criticize you for being right wing or whatever. You know, it's fine. Everybody has their own political compass. So for some people, maybe they they can like categorize you there. But it it does feel like, you know, in in the UK, the the like politics are even though the conservatives and so on are are terrible and and are what they are. That like saying, well, you're not like really properly left unless you're on board with like the progressive wing of the Democratic Party, and it's like, uh-uh. like there's lots of other left-wing political parties throughout the world, and you can be left-wing without a- adhering to like all of the like things that are tied in with the American progressive left. That's that's like my frustration. So I I know I'm harping on on no, that, no. but that's
1: okay this is this is like where this is like where we kind of have kind of clashed a little bit and it's fine like i, I yeah wouldn't, i wouldn't have this conversation with you if i did if i didn't like you and think that you know that that, <laughs> that that you know that we we i think we mostly like agree about this stuff it's just that because i live in a country where like i would do anything to replace like the republican party with the tories right
0: <laughs> witches, people I mean, talk I, a lot of shit I, on I boris johnson
1: yeah people talk a lot of shit on boris johnson but we have marjorie taylor green all right like yeah like, like we have it's... like completely bat people in the government here and so like i just you know i just i think that's why like sometimes you know people i think like amer like just people on the american left especially like especially like queer people and people of color like we might seem pissed off to people from outside of the country and we might sometimes even seem like we're unreasonably pissed off but like the the, you know we exist in the circumstances we exist in and some of us are just kind of kind of just kind of sick of it and like it's 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 hard to i think it's it's hard to like talk about some of this stuff without getting angry you know
0: yeah i think the frustration like from my perspective would be not so much towards like the black community or the queer community but like the progressive white (laughs) community like highly college educated and i know that is i know that the idw harp on that as well right but but i i, I think there is a real sector of that which is you know like in the commentary on twitter and it's it's it is like kind of you mean to it tell feels- me that some people in my tribe are annoying? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I, 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 it's, it's possibly, but you know, I know that the the moderate left people are equally as annoying, or they, you well, know, no, the you know, well, no, it's just that some people are some,
1: some people are annoying. I think, and it kind of kind of runs the gamut. I don't think that I don't think that there's it any is- sort of political tribe without without its incredibly annoying people. That would be would be amazing yeah. if we could create such a thing. But everybody's annoyed I, by somebody, you know.
0: I guess, like, you know, look, I'm an academic elite, right? Like, I'm... I, I, I didn't know that about you until I actually took a,
1: a closer look. You are actually an academic elite. <laughs> I, I,
0: I'm not, like, I'm not saying that in a boastful way, but a, shame, a shameful way. But, like, I, I I, mean, like, I can't deny being a part of that group because right. I've been in academia for too long for it to escape me. But I, I do know as a result of that, like, I mean... Uh, because of my background like Irish Catholic like in Northern Ireland the I think I, I told my parents when I was like 15 or whatever the one thing I'll never do is like live in England and it, and and then I went to university there and then I went to Oxford right eventually. That is and, the uh, most Oxford England
1: thing you could do actually.
0: It is and Oxford's a very weird place like if you go there it's Like when you start the university year, there's a thing called a matriculation where you dress up, you know, in the fancy gown and bow tie and whatnot to start the year. Post pictures of that on
1: your Twitter. I think people would love that.
0: (laughs) Well, so the thing is when back in the era when this was, you know, Facebook was the dominant thing. And of course people took pictures and stuff when we were there. And my family, because like... yeah, just because we're not familiar with that, we're like, "Oh, Christopher graduated already! Congratulations!" I was like, "No, no, they just made me <laughs> like, just got wear here, this." Yeah, and like I, I remember at that event at the college, I heard someone like in my college uh, because the Oxford system is really weird. It's got like all these like individualized little colleges, like separate. Um, yeah, like there's a university, but it's actually. Um, all these individual colleges that people join, and uh, in any case, like when they were doing that ceremony, I had a guy like a very upper class English guy in front of me bemoaning the fact that people had uh you know like the the bow ties that you clip clip on like and I had one <laughs> right and he was talking about the kind of lost art of you know tying a bow tie, and I remember feeling like <laughs> What the fuck? Why they're in here? Like, and uh, so that is some had, incredibly posh shit, right there. Honestly, it is. It is, and like that. That so that that exists in expert. and I'm I'm giving that anecdote to say that like I had a very negative reaction. It actually, took me quite a while to accommodate to like the the anti-elite thing, which I had from my upbringing. Right, I just didn't like it. I didn't like the pomp and circumstance and i didn't like upper class english people um and and then i uh but from being in those environments and like around academics and stuff there is elitism in academia and there is like a a kind of righteous uh you know like tied tied to People stating progressive, like liberal values, but what they do interpersonally or you know, what their actual life is like is extremely elitist and like kinda hypocritical for them to lecture people about, you know, how you you should be uh like like so that part I get why that grates on people because it graded on me in, in that environment. I'm still part of those environments. So like I think that thing about people getting annoyed with academics looking down on people it it exists for a reason because it is a thing that happens in academia and like i'm 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 basically saying that academics are not blameless for some of the things that they get criticized for about being elitist and i see it on twitter with a bunch of academics but on the other hand you know jeffrey miller uh, and sam harris and so on like these are also real people and they the notion that that is the most more much more important thing like elitist liberal professors versus trump being the president stephen miller organizing the immigration like there being no social health care in america that that also seems to be widely out of step. so like i think i'm just kind of annoyed with everything that's that's like kind of the state i'm in well that's that's i think that's sort of where we Agree is that
1: we're basically annoyed with everything, and not for nothing. Sam Harris, it's not like he's not elite. You know what I'm saying? No, his he's Golden Girls money, right? And not just that. I mean, he's he if <clears throat> you know if if that was all of a sudden taken away from him, it's not like he's like all alms for the poor on Santa Monica Boulevard or whatever. You know, <laughs> he's pulling in yeah. a lot of money from subscriptions and he does his own style of elitism where he'll just to kind of accuse people who he doesn't like of bad faith and then sort of try to shut them out of the conversation yeah. though he does it less i was shocked that he talked to you um mm. i would i wasn't shocked that he talked to ezra klein because i thought he thought he was going to absolutely demolish ezra klein think yes. i think he thought ezra was stupid but honestly yeah like and, a yeah, he thought he was like a woke
0: ideologue.
1: Right. And it turned out that Ezra just kinda knows his shit and did like a very good job <laughs> with uh Sam. Yeah. But he's better than the other ones, like, but still he'll you know, they're they're all like deathly afraid of Sam Cedar for some reason. Like none of them yeah. will talk to Sam Cedar. And they like, they like have this impression of him that he's one thing, but then you go listen to his podcast and every day he's like interviewing an academic, a historian, a journalist, you know, he's like a serious person. He just also happens to be funny. And I think that's their kryptonite is they're like, oh, this guy's funny. I do
0: not want to talk to anybody funny. There's a very, there's like a epidemic of people taking themselves too seriously and like you know you, i i to you know the intellectual dollar tree and i think you guys do a good job of pointing out when people are are, are like doing that <laughs> so it's like i think matt and i try to do it too like that puncturing the kind of air of self-importance is it like it can't be done enough in the current <laughs> environment like because everybody's taking themselves deadly deadly seriously and I, I think he, a lot of the times you know what they're talking about is it's it, like even if they were right it's a very minor topic like Jordan Peterson just every day you know he's oh, self god his himself, twitter so that's good he, he quit twitter <laughs> and then
1: he like like an order of magnitude more unhinged after he after he quit
0: yeah, and 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 but what he's raging about, right? It's like it's just whatever Justin Trudeau had for lunch that day, or you know, the, just like every story from Ben Shapiro or Mike Cernovich or whatever he he's leaping on it. And you, you know, Sam, I I was surprised that Sam talked to us as well. Although that was a lot to do with Dave Pizarro <laughs> recommending us, and Sam respects. Dave from the Very Bad Wizards, but um a good show. I, was, I mean, I
1: could see people respecting them. Yes,
0: I, I think I don't know if he respects his judgment after the episode he recorded with us, but um, but yeah, like in that conversation I had with Sam, I actually expected that he would moderate some of his positions, right? Because like, as you and Ina have pointed out, you know, to some extent, we are probably a, a like a, a sympathetic audience for him, right? We will not be as mean to him as like Aina would be, for example. So if he were to walk back some of the claims, like if, if for example, I give him the opportunity, I said, you know, you said there's a 50 50 chance of a civil war in France within 10 years because of the Muslim immigration. Like, you know, in hindsight, do you not think that was, you know, a bit hyperbolic and potentially, you know, like part of an anti-Muslim like uh, panic at the time? And, you know, his response was like, no, <laughs> I think, you know, he kind of said reasonable people, had um, similar projections that I had and that, um, and so on. But he didn't, he basically didn't take any position, like, moderate it. Most of his, like, more extreme positions. And I was, I was genuinely, I thought that he would, you know, say, well, yes, I overstated that then. And maybe I could have phrased it, you know, more carefully, but he was, he was not like that. He was just like, like, that's, that yeah using bat yours uh population statistics it's entirely reasonable thing to do
1: so one thing i learned from that is that you're more patient than i thought you were i thought you were more like me because i would have lost my shit like i I don't want to spend too much time talking about your conversation with someone else because i think we're we're getting kind of to the end of our time here Uh, mostly because i I don't like to do these three hour long conversations and i know you'd like (laughs) to get to bed because it's late where you're at but I did, yeah. I would have lo- lost my shit if some, like, if if I talk to somebody and they monologue and like when I ask them a question, they just give a speech. I just, I just lose my patience with them, and I just, imi- I will start talking shit. I don't care who it is. If somebody tries to do that, like, especially because they've come onto my show, I feel like it's like disrespectful of my time and my you know, relatively small but real audience, you know. Mm. And I was surprised with your your patience with that but i know that you also wanted to you didn't want to you know blow the conversation so and i would have been perfectly happy to blow that conversation
0: well it was so there's two things there's one i owe you an apology because i've probably done that i'm a very long no, no 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 but i mean i'm not asking
1: you haven't done that when i've told you the things like on the few things where i've said well here's where i disagree with you you haven't done that at all You've, oh yeah when, uh, when I asked you to tell I, me about yourself you were long-winded but that's fine you
0: yeah, know what I'm saying? That's there's a difference uh, there <laughs> Yeah so but I still apologize I have you know I've got the academic disease it's just <laughs> waffling this is why the sense makers like me but the um the, the like with Sam I didn't mind having like confrontational I actually had a whole bunch of like a list of questions and stuff prepared. And I'd I'd listened to a whole th- I'd listen to Aina's conversations and stuff in preparation. I'd listen to a whole bunch of things and made notes. And then Sam did what you said, which is like he kind of uh filibustered <laughs> with often with points that I wasn't making. And I that that time was probably the first time where we had that experience, right, of like we invited someone and they uh, they didn't really engage in the turn taking or and they kind of cut you off in the middle of questions. And it was it was slightly eye opening because it was like we we had invited Sam and then we we knew we were going to have like a contentious discussion for the second half of it. But we hadn't factored into that that like okay so the dynamic is that we're hosting him, and but but I'm kind of debating him. But as a host, you know, you should kind of let the guest speak, and in the debate, you could be like, no, excuse me, right? Like so, when Ezra Klein was talking to Sam, he sometimes just said, no, look, you've talked for five minutes, now it's my turn, right? And I I had a similar sensation that but i was kind of like and at the end you can hear me getting you know more frustrated and cutting right. in more often than that but it was because of that weird like and, and in posting. the moment
1: in the moment like you said you had not um in the context of your podcast had a contentious conversation like that with somebody uh, the first time that ever happened to me was this guy named jim lee who pretends to be an atmospheric scientist because he believes in chemtrails and i wasn't prepared for it either i had seen his shows and like kind of knew like what he was going to say but I wasn't really ready for the way he was going to approach the conversation and I was like it was like a time that I wasn't used to having conversations it wasn't like this early for me but it was you know a time I wasn't used to having conversations I had been out smoking weed with my friends beforehand and I just wasn't like (laughs) I wasn't ready for it and I did okay but he he certainly was able to come out of it saying that oh look this guy didn't know what he was talking about like that kind of stuff, and it, you know, we, it's, it's hard when you do that with somebody who's really good at just kind of talking over people and talking forever. So before we get mm. out of here, I want to, and I don't, we're gonna, we're not even gonna talk. Well, I'm trying to decide. There's one, there's two things I want to ask you. Do you think Brett's fifteen minutes of fame are about up?
0: Mm. The, the answer is, I would like to say yes, but I think he's digging into the, like, the proper anti-vax community and conspiracy communities. Not, like, you know, playing on the fringes. Like, he's going right in. And I think if he if he does that correctly, then he can be, like, a, a permanent fixture, like, you know, you know correctly, like, yeah, if he establishes I himself know. like David <laughs> Icke. So, yeah, because he, he, the one thing that he's very good of, him and Heller, and I would give them, you know complete credit for this they're very good at sounding like they're legitimate careful people right like if you break down what they're saying it's obvious they're egomaniacal idiots but like the tone and the way it sounds it sounds like reasonable careful scientific and there are very few people in the conspiracy space who do that as well as he does so,
1: I had a guy named Alex from the Q Origins project on, and I kind of brought that up, and he called that academic window dressing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We, Matt and I have called it like academic cosplay. Yeah. Like, that's, it's, exa- it's exactly that. And they're, they're top tier at it from my perspective, right? Like, as an academic, I, I think I, when I'm listening to them, sometimes are like, well, they sound reasonable, <laughs> but. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I, I don't know if you were able to check it out last night for the intellectual dollar tree, which I have to put out later today. I hate that part of doing this. The part where you have to actually put the podcast out. I like the streaming part, I like the interaction with the community part, but he talked to Constantine from, um, trigonometry uh, recently. No, I was yes. stunned. I thought that they were going to go in there and glad hand, but I think like Constantine like broke up with him. Like, I think, oh, I, I think he like, kind of I mean, jettisoned him. I think that he kind of was like, I don't want to be your friend anymore, was the vibe I got from it.
0: I, I listened to the start of that, and I heard Constantine offering, like, an unusual level of pushback for the IDW set. But he was still, I mean, like, Constantine is still an an IDW guy through and through. So he's just, like, he's not willing to, like, agree with Brett's madness so much, but he's... Like when I heard him talking about the ivermectin stuff, he was not. He just would go so far as to say, "I can't judge the evidence, so I won't take a position on that." But he he wasn't saying like Brett, you're being a like an insane fool <laughs> or like right. The, well,
1: that's he's not going to do that, right? Because <clears throat> it's just maybe yeah, that's not what they do there. But I was I was stunned. I thought it was going to be glad handy and he kept it. I felt like kind of bad for Constantine by the end of it. Uh, if you listen to the whole thing. Because he oh, just maybe. kept saying to Brett, he's like, "These are things I'm not an expert in. I'm not. I don't want to be a player in this public health stuff anymore."
0: I did. I did see that, and I was kind of like, "I I was glad for that." Like, I I think the trigonometry guys. There's there's a a ton. to my chat. So you know. my chat. Ja-
1: my chat calls the other guy non Oliver. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can kind. Of, I can kind of see that. And, uh, like. But but yeah, I I credit to Constantine when I did hear that I was like that's amazing because I never hear that in that sphere. Someone saying like I you know except for Eric Weinstein and in that case he just wants to like not directly take a position right like he's just always constantly trying to play the angles to say right. both things simultaneously. But yeah, so so that's it. I don't but I sadly don't think Brett is going anywhere. I think his moment of, like, mainstream credibility is, is, is shrinking. Right. But he's, he's digging into the, like, you know, the conspiracy, proper conspiracy community, and that's probably a better place for him.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think maybe you're right. and Maybe I, you know, the question was wrong. Yeah, because, but I think, like, a lot of his former IDW friends are sort of starting to, starting to jump ship on him.
0: Yeah, but like, it, don't it was surprising you think... that
1: Constantine of all people would. It appeared to me that he was <laughs> jumping ship on him, and I was like, "That was surprising, very surprising." Because I, I think that those people, I, there's a group of people uh, I call the IDW kind of hangers on. It includes like yeah. Constantine and Non Oliver. I don't even know that guy's name. Um, also, what about Shermer? Do uh, uh, you think Shermer's a hanger on?
0: Well, like Shermer interviewed Brett right after. Oh, and he they didn't say doing... he didn't
1: say shit about vaccines. Exactly. Nothing.
0: And that, like, that, to me, is a example that, like, you know, the, of the the kind of, like, cowardice yeah. the in that sphere. Like, you know, Schirmer, for everything he is, he knows what anti-vax stuff is. And he, he just didn't mention well, anything.
1: You talk a lot about tribalism, and it's because it's tribalism mm. there. Um,
0: yeah, it, but so... So, like, Brett because,
1: was, like, RFK Jr. is of the out group to Michael Shermer. So he would yeah. be probably perfectly happy to go after RFK junior because he's been this person's in this person's out group for a long time, but Brett's been in his in group and yeah. And that's, so he isn't going to do it. And I, if tribalism is as much about knowing who the out group is as who your in group is.
0: Yeah. So that's, that's like my counter question to you is, and I'm interested what you think, Dave is like the, um, so Shermer, like if Brett is on the out, right? Sam Harris has disowned them. Various other people, even Constantine is is like saying. I was actually really
1: impressed with Constantine. I would, I was, I went into that like we've been making fun of those guys for such a long time, and I, I was blown away. I was like really I'm gonna impressed. Have to he, he made a lot to of the sense. End of it.
0: But but then, so do you think now, for example, that Shermer would do that again? Like, is Constantine better than Shermer, or is it just the timing, it, like that the Shermer's going to cut him as well?
1: I think at the beginning of that interview, you remember they had talked about Constantine having a kid, and I think they were talking about how that changes you, and I think that that may be playing something into it, or Constantine would like to stop maybe engaging in this kind of stuff that in, endangers his uh, income, because mm-hmm. he, he has more responsibility now. I don't know, I'm not, re- you know, I try not to read people's minds too much. But it, yeah. it seems like that might be playing in because I'm not I'm not thinking that Constantine's going to start having like liberal people on to talk or whatever. Like he's still going to do culture war, but I think it's going to be just straight up culture war from here on out. For him. Yeah,
0: not anti-vax stuff.
1: And I don't know about Shermer. Um, I used to actually kind of like Michael Shermer. Um, I used he like he was this kind of weird libertarian guy who liked to ride his bike and like made fun of Deepak yeah. Chopra. But then like some stuff like some stuff came out. And he handled it in a, in a, in a, I'm running to the Gamergate people kind of way, which I thought was a very poor decision. Um, but I, I don't know if sure. I mean, I think, I think Shermer's on, on going to be on his way out as a public figure. I think he's made his money and he's, he's kind of getting out. I'm seeing less and less of him and
0: Mm.
1: he has less, less and less sort of skeptic cred as he talks to more and more fringe people and never questions them about their fringe beliefs. Like if you remember the incident where he spoke with Stefan Molyneux and had no idea that basically Stefan Molyneux was a fucking cult leader
0: yeah, or yeah. claimed
1: to have no idea about these things after the fact, which I think I'm, I think there's no way you could, you could, there's no way I, you could. There's,
0: I don't know. I think a lot of those guys, like it, the same with Sam, like, you know, he hasn't, Sam still hasn't read the Christchurch shooter manifesto, right? But he's talked about it. Multiple times, and you would just think, you know, if you were going to be, it was be, so
1: hard to get through that. But like, I, yeah, I read it. It was, it was, yeah. it was a, it was rough, like reading it.
0: Yeah, but you know, it's like it's ninety. That that manifesto was ninety pages long, right? And like, you you get through it in an hour, and you don't need to read the whole thing. You get the gist, right? Spend twenty minutes, and you get the gist of what that's about. It's not hard. Right? It's the, it's not subtle subtext. Um, what he's about, and like. That's, that's the, I mean, I know Dave, you want to wrap up, but that's like one of the things that I find annoying about this s- space is like, uh, especially on that side, the IDW side, how often they talk about topics and how little research they put into the actual thing, right? You know, like if you want to talk about immigration and, and like, uh, you know, the Muslim immigration stuff like that, then, then spend time to talk. Like, to actual experts, not the culture war people, not, you know, Andrew Sullivan's new book. Like, go speak to people who cover, like, what the immigration restrictions are in the U.S. And, like, the, they are not these, like, lax things where they just let anyone in. It's the opposite. So, yeah. Right. It's, I, it's, uh, it's highly
1: restrictive. I think the problem is, is that, you know, and I think we all do this to some extent. We all get kind of married to certain narratives about the world, and it's, like, hard to give them up. And I think that, you know, I think that, like, I think that if I, you know, I'm, I'm married to narratives, you're married to narratives, everybody's married to certain narratives. And, um, I think one of the good things, like, there's a lot of negative things about like me, like live streaming and having people chatting and stuff. But like one of the, one of the positive things has been like, where I get things wrong, people are just like in, they're just like, Dave, 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 the chat's just full of my name. Right. And, Hmm. and it's like, it's like a check. It's like a check on me and i think that like i think that that a lot of people in the space we're talking about just those people the the top of the funnel sort of ejects the people that would be challenging the 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 gurus the, Yeah, is, why would you challenge the guru
0: yeah there's a you know i, I we another time we can talk about this but like the whole parasocial dynamics and like i i've been paying a bit more attention to like Twitch and live streamers nothing to do with the culture war like mostly like just the i'm interested on anthrop- kind of anthropologically on VTubers and this whole thing right but i hadn't considered the aspect that like you're talking about because you know the chat box is just like like at, like as never ended stream yeah for like these super <laughs> popular people at least but, I, but what i mean is i saw that as like a reinforcement bubble in a way right but like you're right that like Depending on the audience you cultivate, that could also be a thing that calls you out, right? right. Um, well, I,
1: we we've cultivated an audience of cynics, like a lot of Gen X, like we like Twitch tends pretty trends pretty hard, ma- like young man, and we've got a lot of women in my age cohort in our community on on yeah. Twitch, which is real surprising. Although you know that's a limited pool, but that just seems to like on Twitch, it's a limited pool at least, and it seems to be like we've been able to appeal to like more women, more more queer people more people over 30 and i we, we went there assuming we were going to be counter programming against like young kind of mra types and that never happened we ended up just attracting basically people in our own age cohort who are a cynical like us so oh, that's cool there's, there's there's a million other things uh like you know we could talk about but yeah i think we've kind of gone a little longer than i like to go i think like people get kind of tired of listening to long stuff i'm not that's tired right. of talking to you but that's that's a different story uh, no before,
0: i don't a, be, you I'm need a, to go to
1: bed too before we get out of here yeah. once again like where where can people find you and uh what where can people find your podcast
0: decoding the gurus is like just you know on podcasty things and we, we have a uh, twitter and that kind of thing and and me that's that's like the place that people want to see me nobody cares about my academic work so but that exists it does exist um and uh, i yeah so the the podcast is decoding the gurus where we we have very indulgent conversations about gurus so i'm sorry about that Tim. but uh, that's that's the nature of the beast I'm, I'm gonna blame it on like irish people and the, the gift of the gab that's the reason it's 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 my culture's fault
1: well good. It was uh, it was good to finally uh, digitally meet you or whatever. And um well, hopefully we can uh, talk again, maybe not too soon, but relatively soon. And I hope I hope you guys either do well Ron Hubbard or David Miscavige on your show. I would I would I would be handing oh, yeah, out USB we... drives of that to people walking down the street if you did that. that <laughs> yeah. Thanks
0: again, yes. Chris. Cheers.
1: So the discussion continued on for a little while after this. We talked about sense making and our favorite sense maker. You can go ahead and get that at patreon.com echoplex. Patrons at any level get the entire audio capture of all of our podcast recording sessions all summer long. And if you can't pay or don't want to pay, we never really pay while this stuff just DM me or email us or something and I'll get you the file.